Welcome to Ag Future presented by Alltech. Join us from the 2022 Alltech One Conference as we explore opportunities within agri-food, business, and beyond. Tanya Torp is the executive director of Step by Step, a nonprofit based in Lexington, Kentucky, that equips, encourages, and empowers young single mothers. Torp is an agent for social change and has spent her career engaging in community-based initiatives as a convener, speaker, trainer, facilitator, writer, and consultant. I'm Tom Martin for the Alltech Ag Future podcast series, and Tanya is here to talk with us about the qualities of diversity, equity, and inclusion as drivers of business innovation. Welcome, Tanya. Thank you. Glad to be here. So, uh, first of all, let's just begin with a little bit about you. How would you describe your consulting style? I really enjoy working with organizations that are in it for the long haul. Um, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility as well are not anything that you can do a session, like a, a one-day session, and then your organization's got it all together. There's got to be a lot of strategy on how we're going to get there, um, what you're looking for, what your culture is. Um, so, I love working with people who we can just take their idea or take them from this inception into moving into a space of we've got this. Like we have a direction in which we're going and we know a plan for sustainability. And they're committed to it. They're committed to it. I don't actually want to work with anyone who's not committed. There you go. What are the benefits to a team that's open to diversity, equity, and inclusion and accessibility? Well, you get this diversity of thought uh, that is really important in not only the business world, but in the nonprofit world where I work. Whenever I am able to encounter people who don't think just like me, it is such a richer experience. And the clients get more out of it because of that. Also, there is a lot of data that shows that the business need for diversity actually leads to you making more money. So <laughs> your business or organization can actually... Um, excel because you have that diversity of thought and because people will stay. So it creates this space of longevity when people feel like they belong where they're working. How does being included on such a team give an individual a sense of empowerment and of place? Well, one of the biggest issues, especially right now during the Great Resignation, is that people are wanting to stay at home because they have experienced microaggressions in the office. You hear from a lot of people of color, the, the black uh, indigenous people of color, saying, you know, I, I love my job. I love the job that I do. I don't love the environment in which I work. And so I'm very happy to be staying at home. You also hear from people from the disability community who have said, we've been asking for these accommodations for years. And here we are because of a global pandemic, we're actually able to do this work from home, which means we're not having to spend all the money and extra time just to be able to make it into work. So being parts of those teams that actually care about the inclusivity of your organization, actually care about those employees not having to have those extra barriers just to be able to do their job well, means that you are making your organization or company sustainable. You know, it's it's really interesting, isn't it? But it's, this seems to be a silver lining of this awful pandemic. Uh, what you're talking about now, this choice that's been made for us and for employers more to the point. Yes, I think for some, it's actually reducing overhead. Uh -huh. Now, there is still the issue of, you know, when you're in person, when you're face-to-face, -face, there is 
natural, there are natural things that happen when you're at the water cooler or when you're in the kitchen together or when you're sitting down together breaking bread and having your lunch break. There's some of that is missing. And I, and I think that that is important in a lot of cases. But what we're gaining is the ability to have deeper conversations longer. We're gaining the ability to be able to just do our work. You know, there's right now, there's a big push for belonging in businesses. And there's a big push with lots of trainings about um, being welcoming, but also um, about sharing um, your personal life and being more apathetic and Uh, being more emotionally intelligent. And those are all really important things, especially working with your clients. But what it is is toxic for some people because they're being told, well, your work family is your family. And what it's leading to is it's not diversity. So you're feeling like, okay, here I am in this work family, but people are not even noticing who I am in my humanity. And so what it does is actually pull people even more apart. So I can see the, the need for having those water cooler discussions, but I think having these deeper discussions over Zoom or whatever people are using are actually going a little bit deeper and they're able to be sustainable. Everyone can be a part of this. Have you worked with an employer who has recognized that they have a toxic work environment, they have a prob- at least a problem work environment, and they want to change? They want to make that commitment we were talking about, and, and they want to know how to do it. Have, have you worked with somebody like that? And even if not, what, do you, what, what would you tell them? Yes. So one of the things that I actually shared in my Alltech talk was there is this uh, theory and, in, in fact, practice about curb cuts. And uh, in the 40s, curb cuts started in Kalamazoo, Michigan, where someone said, listen, I can't get my wheelchair uh, to go on this, this street. So what I want to do is create this curb cut. And that happened. Well, fast forward a few years later at Berkeley, where there were students that were living in the hospital there because they're students at the college, but they can't or the university, but they can't actually make it to their classes without incredible difficulty. And they're living their dorm is a hospital because it's the only accessible place. So in the middle of the night, these folks went and poured some concrete and made their own uh, cuts so that they can get onto the sidewalks. And this created a revolution all around the country of people noticing that it's not just the disability community that can use these. It's actually people with strollers. It is people with skateboards. It's people using their bags, that um, their luggage to get where they're going that are using these. And some studies have shown that nine out of 10 people are going out of their way to use these cuts in order to get where they're going. And so here is this incredible theory about this. This was made for one group of people, but it impacted everyone else. And so it impacted tons of other people. And so this is what I share with companies is we have to get to a point where you are using that theory. What is it that you can do that is going to impact everyone, but is specifically uh, geared towards including diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility? Where are those places in your company or your business where you can make some changes that will actually be good for everyone? And how does that translate to, in business, the bottom line is everything. How does that translate to the bottom line? Yeah, the bottom line is about creating policies so that it's no longer about managers having to 
pick and choose how they're going to react to a situation and whether or not it is equitable. It is, here's what policy says. This policy is for everyone, and this is how we'll move forward. It is managers um, changing their style and becoming more about one-on-ones where they're actually listening to what people are having to share. You know, I share um, a lot with my companies an example of whenever there is a major tragedy, and I'm I'm an African-American woman doing this work, and whenever there is a major tragedy another shooting or something that involves my community, when I go to work, I'm carrying that with me. Um, Same for our Asian American friends, same for our Jewish friends. When you're coming into that space at work, you're literally carrying that with you. So actually having policies that say you can, you know, stay home during the day when that kind of thing happens, when you just need to have a time to mourn with your community or to grieve or to do what you need to do, um, that actually affects everyone. That gives everyone the opportunity that when something strikes, that um, they're able to work on their mental health or do what they need to do. And I think those are having those um, opportunities to have that be a part of or other uh, things be a part of your policy actually moves people into that space of real inclusion. Or just several years ago, when people started, um, organizations and companies started offering uh, health benefits to partners. Um, You didn't have to be married to have those health benefits. And And that allowed for a whole group of people who'd been ignored to have health benefits. That actually affected our country. Um, When you see that there are people now that were uninsured before, now they've got insurance through their partner's company. That is a real change. And that makes your employee feel seen. But it also affects all of us. These are are thoughtful gestures that we don't often think of when we're thinking of, of, of business policy, of company policy. Uh, they're, they're really kind of soft policy, but not really, are they? I mean, especially in today's world, if, if that company wants to succeed and sustain that success, it's going to need to be open to diversity, inclusion, equity, and accessibility. Absolutely. I just was speaking directly after my talk to someone who's in HR. And they said, you know, we get these phone calls every day about what is it like if I'm coming to your company as a person who is traditionally excluded or marginalized, my my group of people that I come from, um, I'm coming into your company, how am I going to be received? So it's not just about we um, have increased representation, but once I get there, am I going to be received by everyone? Is there a code of ethics that makes sure that um, I'm not going to experience a lot of microaggressions in order to just do my job? Um Am I going to be believed when I say, hey, this is a problem and not have someone say, well, you know, Bob really didn't mean that or or Erica didn't really mean that. Let's just smooth that over. Am I going to be able to have a space where there are not going to be excuses made when things like that happen so that it becomes safer for everyone? So how do you sustain that, making sure that as people come and go, as people do these days, that that same balance of of these principles is maintained beyond? Yes, it takes a clear plan and it takes incredible dedication. I often tell people that bias uh, trainings and workshops alone will never work. They will literally never work. So oftentimes people say, well, uh, my company did that bias training, so we should be good to go. But what happens is uh, the, the data actually shows that if you're forcing people to go to those classes, they end up resenting it. It also shows that the ones who show up at the class most eager to learn are people who are already on that journey anyway. Mm. So who are those people in your company already on that journey who you can build some longevity and sustainability with who will be great assets in helping the company move along? 
along. In some ways, what people do is they create these um, these equity groups in their company. And so it's employees that are on these equity teams and they're bringing in speakers and anybody who wants to join, joins. Nobody's forced to join. What happens is it actually creates an incredible atmosphere, but I caution people as well. Those people are already doing their whole entire day job. Then they're also um, on this team. They need to be compensated for their time. So that is a policy that the company can make, that if you're joining this equity equity team, you will be compensated for your work outside of the work that you already do. You're already doing your, your day job, but we're asking you to do this, which is actually emotional labor as well. And so that's a policy that would affect everyone that could make sure that there's some longevity so that as people are leaving, there's already that policy in place. There's already a group of people that are trained and ready to go, and they're going to train the next group of people. And so it continues to be sustainable in that way. It's actually an investment, isn't it? It is a huge investment. Uh, Over the past decade, Tanya, you've served as a consultant for companies and organizations that want to make deep game, life-changing shifts in their cultures and their policies. And change is challenging for a lot of people. Have you encountered cultures that were not quite there yet, not fully on board with opening up to diversity, inclusion, equity, accessibility? Absolutely. There have been organizations, in fact, that have said, we really want to move in this way of equity. We really want to make sure people feel as if they belong here, yet their policies and procedures are, they're unwilling to make changes. So when I come in, they'll say, we really want to make changes, but we don't. <laughs> so, so it is really difficult to work with people like that who really see the need. I call it optics. It looks really great, right? Um, on paper, or you've got maybe a diversity statement on your website, but I go to look at who's on your board. I look at who is a C-suite person in your company. Um, I look at your employees, and I don't see that diversity that you're saying that you're striving for or that your statement claims that you're striving for. Or we have a holiday coming up like a Juneteenth or um, um, Pride or that kind of thing. And I see you suddenly posting all kinds of things on social media about caring about these groups of people, yet your policies are not reflecting that. So what I tell people is if you're in that space, nothing will change. It's all optics. We need to get past optics and get to a place where we're actually making sustainable change. Do, do you, as a person of color offering consulting services in diversity, equity, inclusion, accessibility, encounter the very issues and the challenges that you're trying to combat in the world? Absolutely. And especially as uh, in that world of of consulting, but also in the world as an executive director. You know, there are rooms that I can't get into or that I will send one of my board members to talk to a donor who I know does not want to talk to me because I'm a black woman. That's actually happened in my life before. And so um, when I'm in these rooms as well, I have to have my own boldness, know who I am and know my stuff when I'm coming into the room to be able to show data and what works and to be able to to challenge, do you really want your organization to change or is this just lip service? Because at that point, then we can kind of part ways Mm -hmm. um, because I I will not waste my time. Again, commitment. Commitment. Absolutely. You founded Step by Step in 1995, I believe. So we had three founders that founded it in 1995. I've been there for nine years. 
And uh, you founded it as an organization that is mom-led and empowerment-focused. And in describing the mission on your website, you say that it is a trauma-informed organization. Tell us about that. Absolutely. So trauma-informed is actually a uh, category that was created, and it is actually measurable. So you can um, look at the government websites and find that it's a measurable thing. And in order to be trauma-informed, your organization or company needs to actually acknowledge the trauma of the past. So um, being able to acknowledge that there are systemic issues at work that are really harming people that have lasted many times. You and I might not have been a part of them, but they are sometimes governmental policy that have affected people. And so we acknowledge that. But we also acknowledge that there are ACEs, as we call them, um, and particularly in the therapy world, um, adverse childhood experiences that affect many of us. Many of us have had a d- divorced parent or we've had to move or we've seen violence. But the more of those ACEs that start to add up, that means more trauma that you've experienced in your life. And we are informed, trauma-informed by saying we know that those things actually affect people's lives. There's data to show that they actually don't live as long, that there's more risky behavior, that they might drop out of high school um, more frequently because they have experienced those adverse childhood experiences. And for us to be able to put that in the forefront as we are working with these young women, they are leading us. They are literally putting their life lives in our hands when they don't have to. They're making a choice to say, I want you to be invited into my life as I try to become a great mom and a great citizen in this world. And we're able to walk alongside them knowing that they might take 10 steps forward and t- 10 steps back, but we're still committed to them as long as they're committed to us. We don't chase them down, but if they're committed to working um, to improve their lives, we're committed to walking alongside them. And do you find when you're working with somebody who's working their way through through that, that once they do and once they recognize traumas that maybe they had shoved down into their subconsciousness and really not confronted, that there is a kind of a sense of liberation Absolutely. There's liberation and freedom. There's change. And there's a recognition in how I contribute or can contribute to my health and the health of my child, how society has uh, contributed to ills and also helps in my life, and how I can navigate both of those areas, that it really is about wholeness and holistic being complete, um, that these young women begin to shine. They go after their goals. They're able to set and reach those goals because there is a recognition that I experienced this thing and it is um, monumental in my life, but it doesn't define who I am. And have you seen it uh, instill uh, maybe a new level of confidence? Absolutely. Just a couple of weeks ago, we had one of the moms that I met nine years ago come back and share her story with not only our board and donors, but some of our moms as well. And she was somebody who was living in a domestic violence situation when I met her and um, was living in poverty and just had so much going on in her life that was heavy. And she was able to share just having people that believed in me and stuck with me even when I didn't stick with myself, really made a difference for me to know that I am worthy of this. And then from there, she was able to do her own work. It's not about step-by-step coming alongside and telling someone what they should do. It's about us saying, what is it that, that you want and how can we remove barriers? And so watching these young women reach those goals, watching this young woman who now owns a home, is a boss at her job, and has a healthy child who's doing really well, that's all we want for them, to be able to have that kind of life that they envision for themselves. 
A few years ago, Tanya, you opened something called the Mama's Hideout. Tell us about that. Yeah, so our office is Mama's Hideout. And thanks to the Murray Foundation and others who really care about having space for these young women to come into our office. They can use computers. We have child care. So if they are coming to our office and they've got their children with them, um, they might just need a break to look for a job online. They might need to take their GED test or what have you. They can do that in our office. It's also a place for them just to come and hang out. Maybe their child's in child care for the day. They're still looking for a job or they're working the late shift, but they just feel like, I just want to be around positive people. They can just come to our office and literally hang out in Mama's Hideout. Uh, so we love we love that too. And now you're offering a financial literacy course, and, and I understand that it's described as trauma informed. Can you elaborate on that? Yes, it is one of my favorite programs that we have ever done at Step by Step. So what we have found is that there are all kinds of financial literacy courses out there that offer a lot of different things. You can throw a stick and you'll hit a financial literacy course. But we have not found financial literacy courses that really talk to speak to trauma. So, for instance, we have a mom who moved 13 times before she was in third grade. What do you think that does to a person to not have that permanency, Mm. to not um, have a place to call their own, but also to see why we're moving? We might be leaving because the landlords increased the rent or because of the affordable housing crisis that we have. That affects you psychologically as well as physically. And so we talk about those things in our program. In fact, the first two weeks of our 10-week program is to talk about what is our relationship with finances. Sometimes we maybe get money and just spend it right away. Why do we do that? That's not something that we um, automatically want to do, but why does it seem like a knee-jerk reaction to spend that money right away? And it comes from a trauma response of not having what you need and making sure that trying to make sure that your child has what they need. So we actually talk about that and the moms share with one another about how they deal with money before we get to this is how you uh, join a bank or this is what savings looks like or this is how you budget we have to talk about our relationship with money and so that's been incredible and then the best part of this program is that we actually match their dollars that they save so these young women will get a bank account and they will they're required to put at least 25 dollars a month in that account and step by step we'll match it three to one. So if she comes to our program and she raises $2,000, she will leave that program with $6,000 to buy a car, to go back to school, to put a down payment on a house, to um, reduce her own debt. So there's several reasons why they could do that, why they become a part of this program. They pick their goal and then we help them reach that goal and remove barriers. And is that in partnership with somebody? How how is that How's that done? It's a lot of me doing what I'm doing right now. (laughs) I'm talking to donors and I just share the stories of these young women overcoming. Mm -hmm. And for some, that makes a huge difference. If you can imagine... Needing transportation to get all the places that you go and having to take our bus system where we love Lextran, they're so supportive, but our moms have to go to the hub and then they have to go somewhere else. And it takes sometimes a really long time just to get to one place. What if you've got more than one child? You've got to go to several appointments. Your whole day is then lost and you're having to take off work. What if she was able to save up $6,000 for a down payment for a car? It would change her life. And so these things seem simple, but they really are life-changing. Well, what would uh, top, if you had a list of concerns uh, for young single moms who hope to balance being moms with professional growth, what concerns do you uh, consider when you're working with them that they need to to deal with? 
you know, a lot of them are actually beyond their control. And I mentioned already our affordable housing crisis uh-huh. here in Lexington. We have moms that are li- literally moving out of the county because they cannot find a place to live, even with all of our partners. And, you know, the Office of Homelessness does an amazing job. Polly Ruddick and her crew are just wonderful. Uh, but the housing stock isn't there. And so that is a huge barrier. If she's going to stay um, couch hopping or she's staying with an abuser because she can't even find a place to live, that affects everything in her life. So um, there's there's a systemic issue there. But personal issues are sometimes uh, about 25% of our moms uh, come from D- DCBS. So we'll get a call from the state that says, hey, I think this young woman would be great for your program. And working on um, re- getting her child back or working on keeping custody of her child or working on I am a mom in foster care with my baby, that is a big deal. So those um, instances of child welfare are huge for us where we want to make sure that the children are safe, but our moms are safe as well. Is there a particular success story that stands out in your memory? Absolutely. She wouldn't mind me telling you at all. She loves to come and speak this a lot. We have a uh, leadership development program where our moms become leaders, and it's a pretty intense two-year program, and Brittany is one of our leaders. Brittany came to us uh, a few years ago, and she said, "Um, Miss Tanya, I'm dropping out of high school. I have a great job. I'm making great money. I don't really need high school. And of course, I, you know, talked to her about why she would need a diploma, why it would be great, and how later on in life she might regret it. And she just said, I'm just going to make this decision. Well, it's her life. It's not mine. But I gave her great advice. She decided not to take it. And that's okay. Um, we just continued to love on her. Um, well, a few months later, she said, actually, I I think I need that diploma. I think I need to go back to school. And we cheered for her like we were at the winning UK game. We just praised her and cheered for her. And we got to watch her walk across that stage. She graduated and now she's in college. And she is one of our most outspoken uh, cheerleaders for our program. And she is speaking into the lives of other moms, telling them, you can do it. I dropped out of high school. I went back. You need this support. We're here for you. But also, you're not stupid. You can do this. And just speaking into her life and sharing, like, this is what happened with me. If I can do it, you can do it. And so Brittany is just absolutely amazing, and and we love her. What a wonderful story. Tanya Torp is the executive director of Step by Step, a nonprofit based in Lexington that equips, encourages, and empowers young single mothers. Thank you very much, Tanya. Thank you for having me. I'm Tom Martin with the Alltech Ag Future podcast series. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to Ag Future wherever you listen to podcasts.